everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode, as he madly looks for the number because he forgot to do it ahead of time, 124 <laughs> of the show. Uh going to call this one Full Crossover Achievement Unlocked. Nice. As we'll talk about in the second half of the episode. Not going to do crossovers yet, though. Well, unless you count the shape of the X as a cross. Oh, yeah, you could. What is that, a St. Andrew's cross or something like that? Something like that. I this is the pod- I'd, I've never been crucified, so. <clears throat> yeah, and they don't use that for anything else either. <laughs> This is the podcast that looks at all of the Marvel superhero universe adventures from the beginning, the Fantastic Four, number one, and moving forward all the way up to May of 1966, which we started last month, last last episode, but we are continuing on today. With? Oh, yeah, with. Uh, we're going to finish up May 3rd with the X-Men 22, mm-hmm. then we're going to move over to Sergeant Fury 32. Tales of Suspense 80 and Tales to Astonish 82, which were released on May 10th, but not really because Tales to Astonish 82 was released earlier, but we're going to do it later and we'll talk about that more later. We have read 22 X-Men. 22 X-Men. And just to throw it out there, we are coming up on another century mark of how many Silver Age comics we've covered. I remember really liking X-Men number three. That was the blob. But then I don't can't think of any of that I've really liked since then. <laughs> Maybe that's why we're recording these so I can refresh my memory. But there was the one with Magneto approaching the. Oh the yeah, house. yeah, that was a good one too. So that's that two out one. of twenty-two. Well, we are out of Lucifer and <sighs> into Nefaria. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and a bunch of other guys. And a bunch of other guys. The uh, the Strange Tales Quartet, I like to think of these guys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Even though only two of them are from Strange... Actually, it's a quintet. Even though only two of them are from Strange Tales, for some reason, they just think of these guys as the list of Strange Tales villains. Okay. Um, you were totally vamping because I'm the one who's supposed to be uh, synopsizing this, and I forgot. Yes. So this is called Divided We Fall. Um, it is... Editor Emeritus Stanley, because since Stan is on vacation now, we're going to see how a swinging staff handles a yarn all by their lonesome. So Roy Thomas is giving us a script. The art is by Jay Gavin, inking by Dick Ayers, lettering by Artie Simic. Colosso is by Irving Thorbush Robotics Incorporated, which is uh, probably a sister company to Doof and Shirts Evil Incorporated. Oh, I used to watch that all the time. Yeah, it's a good show. Mm -hmm. The Fantastic Danger Room in X-Men HQ is our scene where the world's most unique superhero team have spent countless grueling hours developing to the peak their fighting prowess. But now, as they enter the familiar chamber, the miraculous mutants find themselves confronting a new and awesome sight, and that is a giant robot called Colosso. Um, Xavier has made this giant robot out of stuff he had under the kitchen sink to test the X-Men's fighting ability as a team. They don't know that's the secret, though. So each of them is, like, doing stuff to the robot and trying their powers separately. And it's not until they all work together as a team that they're able to take down the robot. Um, I think Gene's contribution as a team is to telekinetically lift xavier's blanket off of his legs and cover the robot's eye which i mean 
it's good. I'm glad she was able to do that, but I also wonder what else she might have been able to do to help take <laughs> down the robot. We'll talk that more about that later. Um, so then Xavier's like, okay, you know how we've gone on like 17 vacations? Well, the 17th was all jacked up because of the mimic. So y'all should totally take the weekend off and go on another vacation. And they're like, yay, we love vacations. So they all leave, and Scott's like, I want to go with Gene and Warren, but I love Gene so much, and I can never. And Warren's like, hey, Scott. Actually, Gene's like, hey, Scott, you want to come with us? And Warren's like, um, yeah, Scott, you should come with us. And Scott's like, I think I'll come with you. And Xavier's <coughs> sitting behind thinking, I am confined to a wheelchair, and I can never be a happy person. I am not mocking wheelchair users, but the comic is being kind of terrible about it. Um, Count Nefaria, meanwhile, has recruited five new supervillains to help him take over the world. He's been beaten by Iron Man a number of times, but now he's got not only five supervillains, but also all of his Magia people back together. And he's decided that he's going to go after the X-Men. And they are going to become his allies because they are outcasts. So Bobby and Hank decide to go double date with um, Vera and blinking on her name. What's Bobby's girlfriend's name? Uh, I don't. Jeannie? Nope, that's Jean. I don't know. I'm it's looking at the somebody. Wrong page. It's somebody. I, sh- I should know this because I know these characters. Isn't her um, name? Oh, it's her name is Girl. It says right here. <laughs> Greetings, girl. Zelda. Zelda. Zelda and Vera. Yes. So they meet up with them. There are, as usual, tensions and hostilities between Hank and Vera. They're, they're um, not hitting off of the best foot. Um, Warren is taking Jean to the subway to drop her off to go see her parents. Scott meets, uh, has dinner with them and then goes walking off on his own. While he's walking, he sees Jean flying through the air using her telekinetic power. He's like, huh. That's crazy. I just saw Jean leave with Warren. How's she in the air? And in costume, no less. And then Jean goes to Grand Central Terminal and hears reports of the X-Men all over Central Park. She's like, that's impossible because I'm part of the X-Men. So she puts on her uniform and goes to Central Park and there's Plant Man. Plant Man gasses her and knocks her unconscious. Cyclops sees the angel flying around. So he decides to go find out what's going on with the angel. Why is the angel flying around? Then the angel sees the angel flying around. Uh, Warren turns into the angel and chases after the angel to Central Park. And there's the scarecrow. And the scarecrow throws a net on the angel and takes him down just like a bird. So then Hank and Bobby hear on the radio that the X-Men are causing problems in Central Park. They're like, that's not possible because we're the X-Men. And Hank is like, hey, Bobby, you stay here with a couple of ladies. I'm going to go check out what's up with the X-Men not being the X-Men. And Bobby's like, okay. So Hank turns into the beast and goes to Central Park and the porcupine um, throws a, a circular saw, no, a hypnotic disc, a hypnotic disc at the um, the beast. He shoots it out of one of his quills, I think, um, and hypnotizes the beast just enough so that other Maji people can, can take him down. So then Bobby's sitting around going, why hasn't the beast come back? I think I'm just going to abandon the girls. And he turns into Iceman and ices away and goes to Central Park and there's the eel. And the eel just doesn't really do very well. 
<laughs> Iceman ices him over. He busts out of the ice, Amazing Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends style. And then Cyclops hits the eel in the back of the head with a Cyclops blast. But then the unicorn shows up because why the heck not, right? Cyclops mm-hmm. tries to blast the unicorn, but he's too cool. And so he uses his unicorn head, um, but Iceman ices over his unicorn head. But then the eel... Eel blasts Iceman and the unicorn hits Cyclops. And now all of the X-Men have been taken down by Count Nefarious supervillains who all report to Count Nefarious saying, hey, we got the X-Men. Nefarious say, cool. Your job was to get the X-Men. You got the X-Men. Good job. Um, we had to sort of punch up one of them. Why did you hurt my ex? We didn't hurt them. They're just fine. They're in the dungeon. Oh, okay. Okay. It's fine. Um, so then Nefaria goes down to the X-Men and says, hey, X-Men, you want to be my friends? And they're like, um... No, you've chained us up in your dungeon. Is this usually how you start friendships? And if it's like, fine, I wanted you to be my friends willingly. But if you won't, I will make you my friends unwillingly. <laughs> and that's where the episode ends. <laughs> yep. He's going to go do something to Washington, D.C., but we are left wondering what his plan is. Yeah. Well... You know, for a book full of villains I don't care about much, mm-hmm. uh, this wasn't horrible. I don't know that it was great, but it wasn't horrible. This was not a great comic, but I had a good time reading it. Yeah, that's a way to put it. There you go. Um, I think I had more fun reading this than I have in the last two or three issues. For sure, because Lucifer. Right. But the X-Men were being X-Men. They were having their friendships and their relationship dynamics mm-hmm. were all there and in full effect. Mm-hmm. and. And the kooky villains were there being super kooky. I always like when uh, teams are like singled off and taken out one at a time for some reason. That's very dramatic. So that kind of worked for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Boy, you know, when Roy Thomas first started writing Sergeant Fury, I remember that particular issue was like a chore to get through, right? Lots of words, right? Lots of words. But since then, with Sergeant Fury, I haven't felt that way. So I don't know if I just got over it or whatever. But I do feel that way lately every time we read the X-Men. Like, I turn the page and groan at how many mm-hmm. balloons I have to get through. Yeah. And, and you're totally right. I think you said, like, there's, like, a rule he has or someone has that every person in the panel has to speak because that is what's happening. Or oftentimes even people who aren't in the panel. Yeah. I just flip it through yeah. the fight. And, like, people there, there are lots of balloons pointing out of the panel. Yeah. So it's like, wow, can we have like one guy not talk? It's okay. So in that sense, it's been a little ugh. But I don't know. Like, I don't care about these villains much. I like Porcupine because, you know, at some point he dies being a hero and he gets Avengers Mansion treatment and stuff like that. But otherwise, like Plant Man, whatever. Unicorn's okay. Actually, he seemed weird this time. I don't remember him being so righteous when he was fighting Iron Man. But maybe he was. I don't know. I think they just had to try to give some of them some sort of personality to make them unusual. He seems very Dr. Doom in this or something. But uh, yeah. yeah. Overall, have you no- go ahead. Have you noticed the vacation thing happening? It does seem like that's an excuse to go to start a story lately, huh? It's been a lot there. And it, I didn't even think about it until I was reading somebody else's comments on an earlier issue we covered. And they're like, man, they're taking a vacation again. And I was like, they do do that a lot, don't they? Yeah, and they're not even in school anymore. So I guess they could just go on vacation whenever they want to. But I guess it's not even a vacation because, yeah, they're not in school. Well, they're just training against giant robots that – I mean, their vacation was going from New York to New York. So is that much of a vacation? I don't know. Um, I don't know, yeah, I don't know so how New York works. Vacation. Yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of it. 
There is, and they're they're in a I don't know where. What is it called? Winchester or Win something? Where is their mansion located? Famously, uh, West Westchester. Westchester. You're right. So that's not probably city city, right? I don't know how far away it that is. It is from just the city. a little bit north. It's not as north as I thought it used to be. It's not upstate New York, mm-hmm. but it is just a little bit on the north end of the city. And they are getting in hotels and stuff, so I guess they are on vacation. Yeah. Uh, um, how? Go ahead. How is the professor powering this machine at the beginning? Well, it looks like he, he has says, a remote control in his lap. Oh, does he? When they take the towel off or the blanket? Oh, fantastic. Okay, good. Because it says no, beast. I'm just supplying the machine with power. I'm like, I know. How? I thought that too. <laughs> I thought they were going to do some stupid telepathic thing again, but they didn't. Luckily, you're right. He is remote controlling the machine. No, no, no. He's not remote controlling. That was part of it. Is that he's not telling the machine what to do? He's just supplying it with power. So I guess that's a power signal in his box. Now, speaking of his lap, though, on that same page, I don't recall him lamenting about his predicament before this issue. No, no, that was new. That's going to be new drama that he's not a real man, blah, blah, blah. For I I hope not. Me too. (laughs) I don't know what else might have been intended for that panel with him looking so sad. Um, Like if maybe, maybe Gavin maybe intended something to be there and then Thomas wasn't sure. So he put his own idea in there. Uh, but I don't know what else it would be. What has Xavier had to be sad about lately? I, I wish I, I wish I could hook up with Gene like I wanted to in X Men number one. It was three, but yes, or yes, yes. three. But see now Keep it's those. I can't accept the fate of being a hopeless cripple. I don't know if I like that attitude. But no. On the other hand, I guess it's okay to feel that way once in a while, as long as it's not an all time thing. Right. I don't know. Feelings can be complex, but it is kind yeah. of out of nowhere. Yeah, it is a little bit. So the thing with Scott and Gene and Warren totally reminded me of when Betty and Ned were going to the airport and Betty invited Peter along. It's like mm. Gene and Warren are going to take Gene to the train station so she can go see her family. And Gene's like, hey, Scott, come with us. And Scott likes, I, I, I will come with you, well, redhead that I love. Because Gene loves him back and doesn't right. want to be alone with Warren, who's probably going to get grabby. It's that love triangle where Gene loves Scott and Scott loves Warren and Warren loves Gene. Or something. However that works. It never ends. Until it does. All right. So I forgot to say something about our last Spider-Man slash last Ditko issue. Mm -hmm. And I don't normally like to bring things up like that because it's like it's done. It's recorded. It's in the whatever. But I'm going to combine it with this issue to cheat. Okay. There's a scene. It's kind of a funny scene where Hank thinks it's his girlfriend, but it's really a dude with long hair. Mm -hmm. And combine this with that scene in the last Ditko issue where Peter gets run over almost by a bunch of protesters. And they're all, hey, you want to join us in protesting? We'll protest whatever you want to protest. We'll even protest if there's nothing to protest, right? Okay. And I'm like, I think Tom Thomas, Roy Thomas, or Stan Lee are anti-hippie or something. And it feels uh, kind of, it's feeling kind of aggressive now. Maybe. Like, like this guy has long hair. He, thank thought he was a girl because he has long hair. Ha ha, that's funny. Like, what else is the been- point of this? It may have been an artist's choice, and the writer just went with it, but it does mm-hmm. seem like, yeah, it's not even really that long. It's just a little bit long, and it's kind of coif. I don't uh-huh. know what the word is to you know, curl yeah. it toward the forward. Yeah, but this is like 66, so isn't that when like all this... Uh, Beatles hair was the rage? Youth, youth power and protesting and all that stuff started happening, and I bet like maybe older creators like these guys are like, hey, what are these kids doing? I don't know. I know my grandpa Al, my, my paternal grandfather... Used to always tell stories to us about how, you know, those kids back in the day with the long hair used to always want to take scissors to them. It's like, wow, way to assault somebody, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. But I think that was a feeling when these hippie things were going on. Like, no, I, I, I agree. There's a lot of conservative sentiment against, uh-huh. you know, the, the, the new generation. So anyway, that's two examples. I wonder if we're going to get more or at some point if they'll realize, you know, maybe there's a reason they're protesting. I don't know. Well, I know that Spider-Man eventually changes his attitude towards protest. Never, he never mm-hmm. actually goes and joins and, you know, mm-hmm. does a lot of picketing or anything, but he has yeah. a more genial attitude later. So there's this article, this editorial about the X-Men that Nefaria is reading. And I'd like to think that it comments on the recent uh, X-Men crimes mm-hmm. done by Unison Blob. Uh-huh. You know, thinking that they're yeah. actual X-Men. Heroes but, or villains. Uh, right, because they're villains. But it also has a picture of the team on the <laughs> White House lawn. Yep. And I'm like, okay, was this from like is the Vanisher story? Must have been, right? And they're all posing. Yeah, posing for the picture. I like the who, what are they? Like – are they mutants? Like so, so mm-hmm. sort of on. Or what are mutants? Maybe. Or what are mutants? Yeah. Since they're not humans, what are they? Uh, James Bond references on page nine. Yeah, and also this entire issue, basically, is one big James Bond reference. I keep feeling like they're really into Gold Goldfinger and Thunderball and stuff because it feels like the bad guys keep gathering together bad guys. Uh huh. In rooms, so it's like that's very James Bondy to me. Now, they were talking about, do you want to go see Goldfinger or Thunderball? So I w- started wondering, did Goldfinger, like, get re-released in the theaters when Thunderball came out? Possibly. Or they just stay in the theater much longer back then. But that would have to be years, right? It was a year. Oh, just a year? Well, just maybe a year. Maybe they actually played movies for a long time back then. I think that was a thing. Could be. Um, it does explain why Zelda has seen Thunderball only four times. And Goldfinger more because Goldfinger's been out longer. I think they didn't used to make a you know sixteen movies every Friday like they do now. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So did they ever explain why the X Men are seeing X Men that aren't there? Right. Yeah. I had the same question. No, I, I, unless we both missed it. Yeah, it's like why are they there? None of these villains can do projection that I know of. And Mastermind's not around, as far as we know. That's what I thought it was going to be, like Mastermind or something. But nope. Oh, by the way, do you miss how the X-Men used to fight X or, you know, mutants? That was an interesting <laughs> that was concept. Back in the day, right? <laughs> interesting concept they used to have. <laughs> Even whenever they fight a, you know, should be a mutant, it's not a mutant because Lucifer's not a mutant. He's an alien. Uh-huh. Calvin's not, uh, Mimic's not a mutant. He's at a science experiment. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's like the last three issues now. We haven't had a bad mutant, except I guess Blob I, and what's his face? Eunice. We, we haven't had a new bad mutant since maybe Eunice. That's a long time ago. That was issue nine. I can't think of one. I'd have to go search covers. Well, also, remember, the X-Men were formed to fight off an alien invasion, so I guess we don't really need evil (laughs) views. Warren and Jean are driving, and Warren thinks, Jean is so quiet, so pensive. Maybe she's finally beginning to feel about me the way I feel about her. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I've never been to claim, I never claimed to be an expert on dating, but I don't think Warren realizes how this works. <laughs> what, that pensive women aren't usually about you? Yeah, I would think that if Jean were really into him, she'd be connecting with him mm-hmm. and talking to him instead of staring out the window. It's such a 50s romance panel, right? He's thinking about her, she's thinking about someone else. Like, this, <laughs> this belongs in Daredevil, basically. It's that meme about the guy and the girl in bed, and she's like, he's probably thinking about some other girl, and the guy's thinking about, I don't know, how many 
Did I leave levels the garage door open? The breath- yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the latest Zelda game, how many levels there are, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so Plant Man shows up. I guess getting revenge on Dory Evans' dad just isn't enough anymore. Uh, yeah, there's no real reason why any of these guys are working for Nefaria that I can see. Yeah. I did look and see what they all were last doing, though. Okay. Um, first of all, Plant Man, for some reason I had mentally thought that he stopped using his plant gun and like the power became innate but no. he still has his plant gun here so yeah that's... i think he just changed his outfit from like the green hornet to this yeah when he had the plant gun those first two stories i thought it was weird because i thought by this point he wasn't using it but he totally is and i'm just dumb i think it's a cool little touch that the the magia magia guys were gas masks though yeah so they don't get plant gassed yeah that was cool um he was getting arrested in strange tales after two appearances mm-hmm um, the scarecrow was a contortionist who just got a random idea to use his contortionism for crime mm-hmm. with birds. Mm-hmm. He was last seen getting dropped in Cuba. Was he? I thought he got away on a boat somewhere. Or was that before a different issue? Uh, I don't it, was, it was a it was a boat on the way to Cuba. Okay, so he did get away though. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, let's see. Oh, I wrote down on page. Oh, porcupine. Right. We lost saw porcupine. Well, he was in the FF Wedding Annual. And oh, gosh. No explanation on that. But previously, he was in a couple of Astonish issues, and issue 53 ended with him getting shrunk down to microscopic size. Oh, yeah. And I said that. I bet you they're never going to explain how he gets big again when we see him in the X-Men. Yeah. And they don't. And they don't. they don't. We're still waiting for that story. Giant man yep. goes to rescue Porcupine. Right, right. In the, uh, in the uh, microverse. In, in the quantum realm. Also, how does Porcupine fit that hypnotic disc into his quill? And how is that really on theme anyway? Right? I don't know. Hypnosis? Yeah, it's just whatever. Oh, that's right. Actually, it is kind of on theme because that's right. This stupid suit, like like every quill is something different or something like that. It wasn't well, just yeah. that he's a porcupine that shoots quills. He, he can shoot stuff out of his quills. And maybe he can shoot quills out of his quills. But I just don't know how I got the hypnotic disc in there. In his belt, maybe? I don't know. Why am I trying to explain that? I have no idea. <laughs> um, Hank has to overdo his Clark Kent impression on page 12. Um, yeah, as he's leaving. Yeah, that was a sad. Uh, what did he come up with? It's just unnerving to hear this horrible news on the radio. So I'm going to leave because mm-hmm. I can't take it. I'm going to go take some tranquilizers. And Vera does not like it. That is exactly what Clark Kent says, though. Um. Oh yeah, Bobby Drake gets called Bobby Blake in the narration on page uh, 14. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Eel was last seen getting arrested. He was um, he was a couple of strange tales. He's our other strange tales guy. Uh-huh. Um, I remember us rather liking the unicorn story, except we for did. his name. Yep, he was in suspense. This feels like a demotion because he's not very good here. <laughs> no, he's much he's much lamer. Could be the art also. He looks dumber too now. So yeah, only a couple of them were strange tales, and a couple of them were suspense, and one of them was astonish. I believe. Unicorn was also in the dream sequence that Nefer- that magic dreamer guy slash nefarious did against Iron Man, didn't he? Wasn't he? Oh, maybe. So that's related. Not that they're going to bring that up or anything. But right. No, definitely not going to mention it. Because he never talks about his dream days. So uh, page, go, go. page 18, they're talking about how each one could try to take over. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, nefarious worried that each of them is a potential leader of the Magia. And I'm like, some of these guys aren't. Though potential leaders, I don't think Porcupine could lead anything. No, no, or Eel, or Plant Man, or Scarecrow, 
or so any of them really, except maybe Unicorn, and I don't know why I think that. But he also says, but look at they all they all trust each other even less, so they'll never unite against me. And it's like, why did you even bring them together? Why is this plan even a plan? This is stupid. I want the X-Men to work with me and be my friends. Let me hurt them. What? And it's weird that we don't even get a clue what he's planning. Uh Like, whatever it is, the stakes are high. This is supposed to be a really big deal. And I wonder, is it really going to be as big a deal as it's sounding? Oh, he's going to steal the capital of the United States and ransom it for $100 million. Is he really? That's And that's why the target is on the White House or the Capitol or whatever. Yeah. Uh, did I miss that? But what? It's the last panel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the, on the last panel. That's right. Okay. So how is he going to capture the Capitol? I guess that's He's going to press the zap capture gun and it's going to do it. But why does he need the X-Men for that? I don't know. It just seems like a, I, I seem I feel like next issue he won't even try to persuade them to be his friends. This was all just a reason to get the X Men into this dungeon, mm-hmm. and then he's going to be like, "Fine, you don't want to play? Then you'll be my enemy and stop me I don't in, in play my plan." So yeah, another uh, okay. I liked the only thing I really loved was when Cyclops showed up and bailed Iceman out for five seconds. I thought that was cool, and then, that was fun, and then it didn't last. And then Unicorn cheated by shooting unicorn beams out of his not eye because he's not just the unicorn he's the triceratops now or something <laughs> so yeah i don't know i guess you have all these guys you got to use them for something so why not make the b league team or something i guess maybe they're trying to do a five on five team and they're trying to give them like another team to fight against but it doesn't last one two three four five six do we count nefaria as part of this or just separate? Well, he's like the Xavier. So five he's, by fives, the five, the evil, the frightful five. Well, we already have frightful four. The uh, the finicky five? The finicky five. The fearful five? Fearless five? I don't know. I feel like we have, we have a, yeah, I don't know. How about Sergeant Fury? Okay. How about? <laughs> Sergeant Fury number 32, a traitor in our mists. Mists. Exclu- exquisitely non-edited by Stanley, ecstatically scripted by Roy Tomics, excitedly drawn by Dick Ayers, elatedly inked by John Tartaglioni, eventually lettered by Sam Rosen. Uh, mail call, how those two words have thrilled the hearts of servicemen the world over, and the hard-hitting howlers are no exception, except that has nothing to do with anything. Because while they're checking the bulletin board and getting wisecracks from McGivney. They find out that they're ordered to go get physicals. So they all go get physicals. And it's pretty uneventful except one of the howlers, and I can't say which one because they don't tell me which one yet, is the perfect candidate for some nefarious nefariousness by the doctor. So the doctor does something, and then he reports in to the uh, uh, the Fuhrer. And he has all these codes, and there's some sort of plan, and he's not really sure. And then the doctor's going to escaped the base before they figured out that he killed the real doctor but he sees mps coming so rather than risk being caught he just takes a pill and fakes a heart attack and the mps are like wow the doctor died of a heart attack how ironic as he was doing physicals but we cut to nazi berlin and hitler's super happy because of the mess this weird cryptic message he got from the fake doctor um, and he starts telling his plan, and his plan is that the doctor hypnotized one of the howlers. We don't know which one. And in the right moment, in the right time, that howler is going to betray the other howler. So dun, dun, dun. And then Hitler can kill all the howlers and take over the entire world. That's the only thing stopping him. Howlers. Howlers. And Captain America and the invaders and all that. Anyway, 
Uh, Justice Society. Justice Society of America. All-Star Squadron. Right. All-Winner's Squad. Um, yep. Anyway, we cut to Norway. Is that where we cut to? Yes, Norway. Howlers are on skis because they're really trying now to give us as many different environments as possible. So they're on skis, and we're getting a recap of what their mission is. Their mission is another heavy water thing. Remember heavy water kids? Well, they found out in Norway they're making heavy water too, and so Nick and his group are supposed to ski down to the end of this mountain, find this road, block the road when – when convoy trucks come and have to stop because of the blockage, the howlers are supposed to secretly put bombs, explosive thingies on the trucks. The trucks will then continue on to the heavy water facility and be timed to blow up accordingly. So easy peasy, right? However, while they're skiing, the mysterious hypnotized howler skis off separately and turns on a transmitter. The transmitter transmits their location to Hitler. He jumps up and down like a little schoolboy, and he sends out people to intercept, which they do on skis. And uh, they attack the Howlers. The Howlers are all very surprised that their location was so easily discovered, but they think nothing of it. They continue with their mission. They block the road. The convoy trucks or whatever stop, and but as they're going to put the bombs on the trucks, it was really a trap, and there's guns, you know, guys with guns and stuff, and they basically arrest all the howlers. They line them up to kill them. There's this one evil bastard guy whose name I don't care about, but he smiles really funny. They're about to kill him when Nick does this code word about flapjacks, and that tells them all to just jump back. For some reason, they lined him up right on the edge of this hill. So the howlers just jump backwards when the guy says it's fire. It's easy for cleanup. You shoot it when they just fall backwards. Okay, well, that makes sense. That's good headcanon, except for the part where they all do gymnastics backwards and get and get away. Uh, the Nazis start throwing grenades at them, but uh, Percy like catches them in his umbrella and throws them back. And next thing you know, the Nazis are kind of backed into a corner, and they're going to lose to the Howlers because that's what the Howlers do. But this creepy, smiley uh, leader shouts out, Long live the thousand-year Reich. And all the howlers stop and go, huh? But then it turns out, Izzy, right? Yeah. It was Izzy who's hypnotized because suddenly he puts up his gun and he says, you guys stop. And the other Nazis on the other side say, yeah, you guys stop. And now you're surrounded and you can't do that cool backflip flapjack move anymore. And the creepy Nazi dude gets in Izzy's ear and he's just like, I want you to kill them. I want you to kill them all. Kill all the horrible Americans. And Izzy's like, I, I will. I, I can't. Uh, uh. But he can't do it. And he ends up punching the Nazi guy and the guy falls down and like all, and then the howler starts shooting and basically it's Izzy versus this leader. And Izzy's just like pummeling away at him and has this theory like, you know, you, I was able to be hypnotized up to a point, but once you start screaming in my ear and telling me how lame Americans are and, you know, ordering me to kill them and stuff, it just slapped, snapped me out of the spell. I just couldn't do it. You pushed me too far. Um, and then after that, the howlers end up driving the trucks to the heavy water place and then just blowing it up while they're there. And then they make it back. And Sam Sawyer gives them three days off. And while they're running back to the barracks, double time to do that. Uh, McGivney's there to call them dorks or something. And and Nick Fury's like, hey, fat guy, you want to run with us? And he says, no thanks. The end. I really dug this one. I yeah. think this is really fun. This wasn't bad. 
I like the mystery. They actually didn't blow it until. Yeah, they didn't broadcast it at all. No. Not that they gave us much hints either, but I really had no idea who it could be because it could have been any of them. Yeah, it was less of a mystery and more of a secret. Um, yeah. You weren't expect. I-, I can't see how you'd be expected to maybe even have a chance of guessing who it was. No. I, but I, even, sub- I liked even that like they didn't really tell you what was going on with the doctor until later. Like the whole thing was kind of a mystery for a little while. Yeah. I mean, he's there. He plants the hypnosis, but you don't know why or what for or what's going on. He doesn't even say hypnosis. He says, this is the man who I must choose. His blood type, even his precise physical condition, is exactly the requirements set. I must be careful. He must not suspect. And it isn't until we get to Hitler, who then blows the entire plan for us. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of neat. Uh, with his satanic, savage soliloquy. <laughs> they just make him a cartoon character in this in this series. It's funny. He's a little, he is dancing mm. with evil. Uh-huh. He's like a and child. He, he must have had a really bad... I mean... We knew it was a bad breakup because we saw it. But him and Baron Strucker, he is hung up on Baron Strucker. He has mentioned him at least twice since that happened. Someone mentions Baron Strucker in here, and it's not Hitler. It's I think it's the, the grinning leader. Oh, yeah, page 11. He says, so this is the famous Nick Fury who, whose motley crew caused the banishment of the once lionized Baron Strucker. Right. So, like, that's their new uh, legacy, I guess. It's a good legacy. Yeah. I feel bad for Dum Dum Dugan's mother-in-law. She wrote a, a five-page letter to him. Mm. And he just complains. She might be a horrible person. We don't know. She might be a horrible person. But it's, you write five pages. Are you complaining and griping and putting down the entire time? It's possible. I guess. Or it could be Dum Dum. That wouldn't surprise me either. Um, they make a really big deal about getting physicals and how like that's so ridiculous. And... Like Captain Kirk on Star Trek, he doesn't want to go get a physical because he doesn't want to take the time out of his, you know, mm-hmm. fun being a captain. But for like other people making, I mean, why is getting a physical such as, and I realize it's heightened for comedy, but it just feels weird. Why are they, why is most things they have to do such a, you know, they just make everything miserable for some reason. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I was reading the panel about the heavy water thinking, man, didn't they go after heavy water back in like the second issue? And then what mm-hmm. do you know? There's an editor's note mm-hmm. about how they went after. Okay, so Science Corner. Um, I know we talked about this back in issue two, like 50 years ago. Yep. They use the names a little bit weird here. He says that deuterium and heavy water are two names for the same thing. And I realize that Fury is not a science man, so I'm not necessarily faulting him. But mm-hmm. deuterium is a special kind of hydrogen. So like hydrogen, it's a part of heavy water. Mm-hmm. It's um, And I've always wondered, since deuterium which is just hydrogen with an extra neutron in the nucleus. I've always wondered, how do they get the nucleuses to have that extra neutron? Like, how do they, like, do they just, like, shoot it in there? I don't know. So Mm -hmm. I looked it up, and I thought this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. They have special ways involving electricity to force water to evaporate. And regular water evaporates at a different rate than heavy water. So what they do is they get a massive amount of water because hydrogen atoms with deuterium are like one in 6,000. So you've got to have a whole lot to get your, and they just, they basically zap away all the extra water. They zap away like 5,999 gallons and they have one, one gallon of heavy water left. What a waste of water. Well, it just turns into, you know, vapor and goes off and waters away. But, but yeah, yeah, that's how they do that. It's pretty crazy. Hmm. Still a weird way to say it, heavy water, but I guess that's what it is, huh? Yeah, it is literally heavier because there are more particles in the atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I liked the flapjack scene. I thought it was kind of cool. It's cool that they have codes to do things. Yeah, yeah, although, that, that's the idea. Although you got to wonder, like, okay, if I ever say flapjack, flip backwards on the edge of the hill. Like, is that the scenario? What does <laughs> flapjack mean exactly? Don't get shot? I guess it does. It would have to mean flip because that's, I mean, that's what you're oh, doing. Oh, yeah, you're right. And they are flipping. So maybe that is it. But when did they come up with that particular idea? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Okay, so one last thing I had was on page nine. Go to page nine. Uh, okay, there. Okay, panel three. Mm-hmm. Now, I've talked elsewhere about Ditko's method of using lines on a character's face mm-hmm. to indicate artistically that they're black. Mm-hmm. But I thought it came off looking tacky because you have like the black lines on the face and the gray coloring. It mm-hmm. just doesn't look like a person. Mm-hmm. But this is somehow really effective. Like they're doing... They're doing the black lines, so you're the art guy. Do you agree? Is this a more effective way of doing it? Um, it does look a little better. He also looks less gray somehow, but that could be the lines, optical illusion or something. Right. Because Nick is also gray on page nine along with him. So yeah, on the bottom there. So That feels like a miscoloring unless it's yeah, dark. Yeah, of course. probably is. Yeah, they haven't mastered it yet, but sometimes it's okay. Eventually, they will just start using brown colors. Speaking of when did you decide to do this secret flapjack code? I mean, not to go backwards, but Iceman ices up Unicorn's face, and he's like, good thing they invented this little thing in my helmet to melt off ice. And I'm like, why would they do that? Mm. Why would that be a scenario that you came up with, Russian guy? But anyway. Maybe Nefaria knew they were going after the X-Men, so he gave him that power? <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I don't think Nefaria thinks that far ahead. I don't even think Nefaria did it. I think he was suggesting that whoever created the Unicorn outfit did it. Is sure. he like a – I can't even remember what he is. Is he a Russian or something? I don't remember. I thought he was just like a saboteur, but I don't remember his specific de- – wasn't he – was he one of the guys who used to work for Tony? Oh, no. That was – that. Was, speaking of Ice, that was Jack Frost. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, We've been we reading too many of these comics. <laughs> We're already losing continuity, and we started at the beginning. See? This right. is why This is why writers after after 40 years can't contradict things. It's just going to happen, guys. Uh, yes, you're right. Soviet intelligence agent assigned to track down the original Crimson Dynamo. There you go. So the Russians were like, in case you ever get shot in the head by ice, we got you covered. Well, his technology that he's wearing was actually designed by the Crimson Dynamo, but I don't know if it was designed and he got it in Russia or if it was designed and he got it over here. I in either know. case, that's it's what it weird. is. Yeah. But yeah, fun issue. As usual, Sergeant Fury, even though I really enjoyed it, there's not a whole lot to comment on. No. And it's not going to win best of the month because we've already got better ones. There are definitely some more key enjoyment factors in this month. Speaking of. Speaking of. Tales of Suspense. Number 80. He (laughs) Who Holds the Cosmic Cube. Now, this is our um, second issue that came out uh, May 10th. So, Sergeant Mm -hmm. Fury came out May 10th and this comes out May 10th. Um, Okay. Two stories. Really awesome Captain America Red Skull cover, uh, but we're going to talk about Iron Man and Namor first. Mm-hmm. When fall the mighty. On the verge of exhaustion from his battle with Warlord Krang, which we thrilled to last issue, or like three episodes ago, Iron Man finally reaches his lab, the one place where we can fully recharge his depleted transistors. But then, without any warning, the Submariner strikes... All hail the legend makers. 
for theirs is the enchanted kingdom of fantasy. Stan Lee, sovereign of script. Gene Colan, prince of penciling. Gary Michaels, imperator of inking. And Artie Simic, lord of lettering. And by their MMMS pins shall ye know them. Okay, so... What's Namor an MMMS pin? The Mary Marvel Marching Society. Yeah, I did know that. But have we at all talked about that? Because I know they're advertising the heck out of it now. Yeah, it's all in the advertising. It hasn't come up in the uh, uh, story as much. I think I think Ben Grimm has made a couple of references to it in the script. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just silly references. Because um, we're, we're almost to cartoon land, which is when that song gets mm-hmm. played. Yeah. We belong, we belong to the throng of the thong in the long... Anyways, um, okay. So Namor and Iceman, Iceman, Iron Man are fighting because uh, Namor is really mad at Iron Man. And we don't at first know why. He is just really peeved. All of the respect he once had for Iron Man is gone. So he's just beating him up. And Iron Man's like, wow, this guy can really pack a wallop. I'm going to go hide in the closet. And it's an armored closet, so I can totally do that. So he does. He goes and hides in the closet and starts like tuning up his armor and giving himself new doodads and widgets to wear. And while he's doing that, we catch up with Namor and we get a flashback to how last time we saw Namor, it was in Tales to Astonish. And he was swimming up in the water going after uh, his faithless Lady Dorma and Krang. And then the next time we saw him was showing up in Iron Man's house last issue. So we find out that between those two, he swum to the surface and saw Iron Man fighting Krang's ship, which we saw last issue. And Iron Man did such a good job of making Krang leave that Namor lost track of the ship and therefore couldn't go after the deceitful Lady Dorma. And since he can't go after Dorma, he's mad at Iron Man for being too awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's his motivation. So uh, Iron Man flies away. Uh, Namor goes after him. No, I'm sorry. Wrong, 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 wrong. Um, what does Namor see that makes him leave? He gets weaker. He can't even open the door. So he decides okay. to go back to the water to power up. I see. I see. Yes. Yeah. So he goes back to the water. I thought the thing on the bottom of page eight was him going after Iron Man, but that was actually still catching us up. Yes. He trailed Iron Man to this place. Uh-huh. See, so he gets weak. He's like, okay, I need some water. So he leaves. Iron Man finally gets himself um, tooled up, charged up, comes out raring for battle, and the police show up because they've gotten calls about all the noise and sounds of destruction. And they're like, Iron Man, why are you here wrecking the place? And he's like, um, I'm not. And they're like, well, we're going to pull these guns on you. And Happy and Pepper show up as well because they're in charge of things while Tony Stark is gone. And with, um, with guns pointed at Iron Man and Namor re-energized from being in the water, uh, we end off on our first cross-series cliffhanger. What? <laughs> and they know they're doing something cool, too. At the bottom of page 12, it says, Special notice. So spectacular is this epic battle that Mighty Marvel is presenting it in two different magazines. So for the dazzling conclusion of this smashing saga, don't dare miss Astonish 82 on sale now. This is the first 
time such a unique dual-issue project has been attempted in any comic mag. So don't make us regret it here. I was literally just questioning whether that's true or not, and then he said it, which to doesn't my, mean it's true. But Yeah, to, I don't know of anything before this. So all um, that Superman you've read, he never continued in another series? Yeah, okay. Nope. All right. And sometimes you'll have more than one strip within a comic magazine crossover, like Shazam, Captain Marvel could have a crossover with Ibis the Invincible or something. Mm-hmm. Or the Spy Smasher, because those are all in Wiz Comics together. Mm-hmm. But going from one series, one book to another book, that you have to buy a book you wouldn't normally buy, this is the first time that's happened. And it's also, you know, first time Marvel's done it. So and it's awesome. on crossover. Yeah. Yeah. Dang definitely that, awesome. That Gene Colan, man. What the heck? Looks so good. So good. Like, I feel like his style and art is... Too advanced for 1966. Like, did he come from the future? Because <laughs> nobody else is looking like this. Well, I mean, I don't know. When did Neil Adams start doing stuff? Probably around he, the same time. He's not too far in the future. But I think he is still in the future. He finishes up the original X-Men series. But I don't know what he does before that. Because, yeah, I mean, this is just like the anatomy on this stuff is just so amazing. I don't know. The anatomy and, and the shading is a big part of it. Yeah. Just the fact that it's moody and there's shadow and there's darkness. Honestly, I know this is, you know, a sacrilege. When Kirby comes on and finishes his story next issue. I know. It's kind of sad. I feel at a loss. I did too. Um, And, you know, we always say, oh, it's just a fight, fight, fight. But this is actually a pretty dramatic fight because it's not really a fight. It's more like Iron Man trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And then I love how he does the Superman 2, you know, don't push this button. Don't put me in this room, whatever you do. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he's like... Namor, whatever you do, just throw throw me in the closet. Don't throw me like, in the closet. I've never read the story about the rabbit and the briar patch. I'm gonna yeah. throw you in the closet. Yeah, but I liked I liked that because Iron Man's like I can't beat him, and he's really smart and he's really strong. But he's never struck me as someone who understands deceit or trickery. It's like, well, that actually makes sense because it, he doesn't it does. strike me as a guy who's into deceit or trickery either. So, um, and actually, you could even argue like. His motive for wanting to beat up Iron Man is kind of bonkers, but they set up so well in the last Tales to Astonish that he is bonkers right now that it works for me. He's not thinking straight because of Dorma? He is just mad at everything, and he wants to beat up things. Mm-hmm. Like like a, a more level-headed neighbor might go like, oh, hey, that was the guy I was trying to kill. Did you just get him? Cool. Thanks for helping me. But instead, it's like, ah, you got in my way of vengeance, so now I'm going to venge on you. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Happy Hogan and Pepper show up. And I don't know. I I guess I'm not keeping track of everything. My brain still had Happy Hogan as recovering in the hospital after his mutation incident. Mm, He had no memory. And Bird arrested Tony. And Tony left Happy with Pepper under her Uh, care. However, it seems like that has been forgotten. Because she's like saying, Happy the police are here. You better show up. And he's like, happy. What can it be? And he's like, your guess is as good as mine. At no point does he say, who are you? Where am I? What's going on here? So either it was a temporary. Oh, wait, happy Hogan had all had an amnesia. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And we talked because, about, oh, this is annoying. <clears throat> because he knew Tony was Iron Man, remember? So that's they gave him amnesia. Right. And Tony couldn't like ascertain whether it was going to last or he had no real chance to talk to him because Bird and his troop showed up. And arrested him. And so he's like, okay, amnesia 
happy, stay here with Pepper. She's your friend. And then, like, now it seems like he's fine. But admittedly, there's only one panel with him, so maybe he's not well, fine. Well, having been thoroughly educated in the ramifications of amnesia by <laughs> shows like Different Strokes and the Facts of Life, uh-huh. um, I am aware that your amnesia will go away on its own if you just continue to comfort and reassure the person and surround them by familiar things. Usually within 23 minutes, it's gone. Right. So... I guess he got better off panel, except for the Tony is Iron Man part. Well, that we know of. That we know of. Oh, it all, it also helps of. if you get randomly bonked on the head or something twice. That'd be good. But That's true. Especially if you can hit the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. You can turn somebody evil at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. But I did read that thinking, wow, that just seems like regular old Pepper. And also they have this big old thing, like in case you thought we've forgotten about Pepper and Happy Hogan, we respectfully suggest that you turn the page. It's like, yeah, but you still seem like you forgot because weren't they Mm -hmm. in the same room together? Wasn't she supposed to be taking care of him and now she's on the phone with him and he seems normal. So yeah, I don't know. Weird. I guess she did take care of him and now he's better. I guess. She hit him on the head with a flower pot and it's all good. So before we go on, just to drive it home, um, this is as crossover as crossovers get. I mean, they may make it more complex or they may change the structure, like the idea of a central series and tie-ins, or they may call it an event or give the whole story a name. But the idea of, I can't follow this story unless I buy another book. Now, assuming Mike's Amazing is correct, and even Mm. Mike's Amazing admits he's not always correct, that means part two of this came out the week before part one. Yep. So did that make any children upset? Like, what is going I don't on? Know. They, they were a week apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes, astonish, suspense, astonish, suspense. That's the shipping order. Mm-hmm. But the story order is astonish, suspense, suspense, astonish. you got a sandwich going on. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of crossovers, there is a problem with the shipping and the, and the, and the shipping order versus the reading order. Mm-hmm. Um, you it, it, Of course, it says at the beginning of astonish, don't read this till you read Suspense 80. Okay, well, that's good at least. So you might have gone back to your newsstand and said, wait a second, is the new Suspense out? And you're like, yeah, it'll be here next week. And then it just sits on your nightstand for a week. Um, now, now, Tales to, of Suspense 79 ended with Submariner at the doorway threatening Iron Man. And then you mm-hmm. theoretically could jump to Tales to Astonish in that opening splash page, think that's the next moment. Mm-hmm. And that would be confusing because now there's police and he's not beat up anymore. Right. And all that. But, yeah, but, so. it, but it does have that note at the beginning yeah. of that chapter. It does. And if you have to read carefully to make sure it's there. But uh, but yeah. yeah, really, really excited um, mm-hmm. that we are in full-on Marvel. Marvel started crossovers. Mm-hmm. We'll see how often they do it, but at least we got one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know what's even cooler is technically supposed to be drawn by the same guy, which is kind of at least, they, at least yeah, the they first were supposed two pages. To be. First two pages were, so there is some sort of connectivity there. It's kind of neat. Um, I don't know of a lot of crossovers. I do know there's another, if I remember right, it's Iron Man, Namor, and Captain Marvel, whatever mm. that book is going underway. There's a three-way crossover, but it's a lot less strict than this one. It's more like the same villains are having their story continue, but the heroes don't oh. cross over, if I remember right. So kind of like Wasp going between Kinda. Tales to Astonish and Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so second story, Captain America, living legend of World War II, he who holds the cosmic cube, or dare we say, the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. 
The Tesseract, um, which was really the what? I always forget. It's the, the Mind Stone. Mind no, Stone. No, no, no. Yeah. The, the Scepter was the Mind Stone. The Tesseract was a Space Stone. Space Stone. Right, because it transported Red Skull into space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On his way to police headquarters, where the Red Skull's assassins are being held for questioning after their capture last issue, Captain America, swiftly leaping from rooftop to rooftop, suddenly gazes upward as a blinding flame burst fills the sky that says, stupefying script Stan Lee, electrifying illustration Jack Kirby, dazzling delineation Don Heck, luminiferous lettering Artie Simic, and... Frantic fundraising, Irv <laughs> Forbush. All right. Uh, there's an explosion in the sky. The uh, pilot managed to eject, and there's a capsule that descends. It falls in the river. He goes after it, and I believe this is the, um, let's see. No, this is not the ship that the assassins were on. This is a totally different ship. Okay. Uh, some ship that we don't know about explodes in the sky. Capsule falls over. Uh, Captain America goes down thinking that the pilot's inside and needs to be saved. So he goes down and he sees the letters A-I-M on the capsule and opens it up. And inside is a person dressed as a beekeeper and thinking that it's really weird to have beekeepers in capsules. He rescues him and pulls him out of the water. And the beekeeper's like, he's got to be stopped. The keeper of the cosmic cube is going to bring it to him. Who's him? I mean them. Who's them? I mean the Red Skull. He's going to bring it to the Red Skull. AIM thought Red Skull was working for for them. But no, the Red Skull has betrayed them. (laughs) Who's on first? Yeah. (laughs) And is going to use the Red Skull for his own means. Meanwhile, we switch scenes to the Red Skull, who is... um, monitoring on a camera the fact that one of the planes was destroyed and um he has one of his two friends from last issue still alive talking to him but not for long because uh, he says something about you know what did you think anyone's going to do for us and Red Skull's like us how dare you put yourself on the same level as me shake my hand so i can poison you or hypnotize you or something here take this gun shoot yourself in the head but i'm gonna go in the other room and sniff a flower so that i don't have to see it um, meanwhile, Captain America, what does he do? He's jumps onto the back of the plane that has the, uh, the keeper who is taking the cosmic cube to the red skull. He forces the pilot to eject, holds onto his ejection seat. The parachute launches. They fall on an Island, uh, sees the red skull. Oh my gosh. The red skull's alive. And the Red Skull says, ha ha, Captain America. Captain America and Red Skull start fighting. Uh, Red Skull's like, oh my gosh, Captain America is a really good fighter. I kind of forgot just how awesome a fighter he was. <laughs> He's a really good fighter. But he shoots sleeping gas from a device inside his shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Captain America falls on the ground and Red Skull goes over to the, uh, the AIM guy and says, hey, AIM guy. And AIM guy says, yes, I have the cosmic cube. He hands it to Red Skull. Red Skull's like, now whatever I wish can be reality. So you know what I'm going to wish? Beekeeper, you don't exist anymore. He banishes the aim guy to another dimension. And I'm going to lift this rock with my thoughts. And the rock floats into the air with his thoughts. And Captain's like, oh no, the Red Skull is finally not going to be just dangerous. He's going to be inevitable. I mean, invincible. Continue next issue. 
All right, time for best and worst of the month. <laughs> I got my answer. No. Uh, it's yeah. going to be hard. It's going to be tough. This was there's awesome. also some really good stuff next issue, but this is really good. This was really good. Uh, yeah. How, um, about, how about that Red Skull? <laughs> how about that Red Skull? And the Red Skull having the Cosmic Cube is like classic Red Skull. And so whenever they totally. use that for the Captain America first Avenger movie, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they're using this. Yeah, but it wasn't as exciting, was it? It was just like they turned, he used it to make lasers or something. It's like, well, to just but, power, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like I could make lasers with this. It's like, that's cool. We got bullets. It's kind of the same thing, right? I don't know. What's the difference? He didn't realize quite how much power he had until yeah, then. Yeah, he didn't turn Captain America into like ribbons or anything. Uh, so AIM is fully full-on revealed in this book. Do you think they're going to continue to beat around the bush in Strange Tales? They sure are making it confusing, huh? Like, I don't even know what we're supposed to think of AIM at this point, And we've been reading these in order. Like, am I supposed uh, to, are we supposed to just, because Cap's like, I've heard of advanced idea mechanics, and in the Strange Tales issue, Nick F- Shield is working with advanced idea mechanics, thinking they're up and up. So, well, Captain America has run into the yellow guys. He just didn't know, or at least readers have seen the yellow guys in Captain America. They just didn't know they were called AIM, unless you read that one sign. Okay, so he sees the capsule, says AIM. He says, AIM, I've heard of that before. It stands for advanced idea mechanics. And then he pries open the capsule... And he finds the beekeeper. He says he must have been testing one of AIM's new prototype aircrafts and something went wrong. Does he assume this guy's a good guy? Or does he know that uh, he's a them guy? Because you're right. He's fought them before as a them guy. I read that as testing one of AIM's uh, hovercraft because he is one of AIM. Right. But is AIM good or bad? That part I couldn't tell you if he realizes that AIM is villains or not. Because, like you said, he's fought them as them. And they look like this. And at no point right. does he say, so what he should have said when that thing opened was, why is it them guy in an AIM capsule? True, true. But he doesn't. So I'm just like kind of waiting for, I think if they're just going to muddle it and not give us a payoff and it's going to be like, well, unless they do it in Strange Tales. They might do it in Strange Tales because this one guy is trying to take over S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's an AIM guy and mm-hmm. they, all, they all think he's cool. So Maybe that's where it's going to happen, but it's not happening here for some reason. And then they do throw around them and AIM when talking about the Red Skull. So it's like, whoa, who are we working with? True. I kind of felt like this issue clinched up, but you're right. It does not quite come out and say them are AIM are them. And it doesn't help that these two, that apparently the one guy is against giving the Cosmic Cube to the Red Skull. This oh, guy. you're right. And the other guy is only doing it because the Red Skull put a weird hypnotized thing on his hand like he did this henchman here. He says, because the henchman's like, why did that guy cooperate with you? And he's like, because I mind controlled him just like I did you, fool. Now kill yourself. Which, by the way. Rough. I love the Red Skull because even in 1966, they don't, they don't pull any punches with him, do they? <laughs> like, we've had other Nazis and stuff, and you see like this horrible image, but then the, the words sort of soften it up. Mm-hmm. And I thought that might happen with this, but it did not. He just told the dude to commit suicide, and the guy committed suicide. <laughs> like, and wow. since one of the guys is missing, we can probably assume something similar happened to him. Yep. It's like, I'm done with you, so kill yourself. Well, I smell this flower. Okay. He's like, I don't want to look at anything unpleasant. I'm like, we're going to have to clean it up later, so. Or maybe the maid will, and then when she's done, he'll kill her. And it's like, God, this is never ending. Right. Speaking of guys missing, though, where's the third aimster? Oh, God, was there supposed to be three? Well, there have been three. Oh, I see. Other. You're right. 
Yeah, I don't there know. There have been only three. You're right. And here there are two. Third one stayed home. Wouldn't you go live with the fourth scroll? I don't know. Stayed in his brick house. Um, I Page eight, when the Red Skull is ranting, I wasn't super fan of what he was saying. Um, I agree. He's a he's a phony. Kind of going a little bit crazy, a little bit over the top. He says that Hitler's death was a lie. Uh-huh. And it's it's a trope of evil characters in mustache twirling villain fiction mm-hmm. to talk about how bigotry, greed, and oppression are awesome. But real evil people don't do that. <laughs> um, he seemed like he was just justifying, and we kind of... And we kind of know that he knows he's evil, so yeah, why bother? But I, like, especially the so long as they laugh at brotherhood. Are you saying that one of the pros of being a Nazi was brotherhood? I guess kind of. You all high fived each other while doing really bad things, but you know the Red Skull would sooner shoot you than be your brother. So no, I think he's saying as long as there are people who take liberty for granted. Who, in other words, they don't value things like liberty, brotherhood, oh. and honesty. That's that's the, his cup of tea. That's who he will cater to. That, yeah, I as see. long as those guys are there, the forces of the Red Skull okay. will creep closer to victory. I like this bit where the beginning caps like, "Oh, I got to really." We're on his island. We're on his turf, and the cosmic cube is right around the corner there. So I'll just keep him fighting me by like making him lose his temper, right? So, mm-hmm. that's, so that's what started this diatribe of you know how the Nazis are better, and then they start fighting, and the Red Skull's like, "Oh yeah, I totally forgot fighting Cap was stupid, and I shouldn't do that." I know. <laughs> I'll make him mad. So it's like he turns the table and he's like, hey, you know how I, you know how Bucky was killed by Baron Zemo? It was my idea. And he by the way. He say Baron. I'm sorry, but that's still a big it's revelation okay. that may or may not be true because it's a Red Skull, so he could be lying. But how does he know about it otherwise? Unless he just read the news or something. Um, but that's a big thing. I can't, I, I didn't remember oh, that's a thing. So is that really a thing, or do we find out later he just made that up just to piss him off? The, I don't the know. T- now, Zemo may have been working for the Red Skull, uh-huh. but the Red Skull could not have been directly responsible for that event because Captain America watched the Red Skull, quote-unquote, die. Right. He watched Red Skull get fall into a cave-in, and it's the same cave-in because they picked that up last issue. They were captured by the gas. Um, he- so... But he says, Zemo was carrying out my orders. Now, were these long-standing orders for some long-standing plan or something? Or how long did it take for that to happen after the Red Skull was kaput? Was that the I next ha- day, next month? I feel like reading this as the Red Skull is taking credit for, like, extensions of reality. Like I do, too. Cause he I may have given Zemo orders about, you know, going after Cap and Bucky. But the actual events of that incident, the Red Skull didn't order that. Yeah, when I read this, I was like not remembering that, and it seems like that would be something that would be brought up often if that's really true. And it's usually like Bucky is attributed to Zemo. It's always Zemo. So now maybe the whole plane with a bomb on it was part of a plan they made together. Maybe, but I don't think Cap but, laments about how it's all Red Skull's fault very often. No, he laments Zemo, and and also like like who's would ever have known that Bucky would have gotten his arm caught on the plane. And not have been able to fall, no, whatever. Right. America. None of that's predictable. So Red Skull's just taking credit and riling up Captain America. I mean, basically, Red Skull could probably take credit for a lot of things that happen in Germany, right? Like if he's in charge of, <laughs> if he's in charge of a lot of stuff, then people are all mm-hmm. doing things because of him. But doesn't mean he had this master plan to kill Bucky. Um, and then he, he does. Gets, ex- go ahead. He does explicitly refer to his face as a skull mask. 
I love the skull mask. I really wish that was still a thing. You know, I think with 350 on up, it's not been a thing anymore. It's like his actual head, and that's okay too. But I especially love the way Kirby draws the skull mask. It's just so like baggy or something. I don't know how to explain it. He looks like the mask. You know that character, the mask? Yes. That's what he looks like, and I like that character or the look it's of that character. It's a very character. animated mask. Yeah. I especially love the last page when he's looking at the cube and his eyes are all bonkered out like Golden Age style. Right, right. That's such a good panel. I don't know. Yeah, if his, uh, if behind his hand, if his mouth like went down longer, it would very much be a red skull from the Golden Age. Totally. But this is uh, more round faces. Oh, anyway, great story. Contender for first for me. But of course, I'll wait till we actually get through all these because we've got a few amazing stories coming up, I think. Amazing stories coming up, I think. The only, 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 and this is just a quibble, but it's just my peeve. Okay. The end of the comic is on the cover. Yeah, that's true. But it is such a good cover. It should just, it should, it should be the cover of next issue. You're right. What is the cover of next issue? I don't know. Something Iron Man, because they're alternating now. Oh, it's like cat being turned into a cat or something. Captain America cat. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Should we continue our adventure of Iron Man? This is kind of weird to cover it so quickly. Yeah, well, so just to clarify, in case anyone was, was not paying attention earlier, this came out a week early. This is one of the May 3rd books. We have to hold it to May 10th because you can't read this without reading the other one first. That's right. So we switched it real fast. We should have just stuck to our guns and covered it out of order just to be weird. That would have been weird. I would have felt weird. If this was a Star Trek podcast, I totally would have done that. <laughs> release order only. Religious. All right. No cage till the 80s, people. Uh, the power of Iron Man. Warning. Oh, did I say what it was? Tales to Astonish number 82. Warning to all adventure-loving mixed-up Marvelites. Tell me about it. Don't try reading this senseless, staggering saga until you've thoroughly devoured Suspense number 80, now on sale. Not. Actually, it says Natch. Or else, boy, are you going to be confused. End of warning. Beginning of action. Imperious Rex, plotting by Smiling Stan Lee, who then went on vacation. Scripted by Rascally Roy. Just Roy? Who wishes he had. Begun by Gallant Jean, who caught the flu bug after drawing the first two pages. Lasai. Finished by King Kirby, who drew the last 10 pages, then asked who Submariner was. <laughs> inked, <laughs> inked by Darling Dick. Who else? Lettered by Adorable Arthur. Who? All right. So we pick up where both dudes basically went their separate ways. I mean, we just covered this, guys, and got powered up, and now they're fighting again. So it's a big, long fight. I don't want to just skip over it, but it is a big, long fight. But mm-hmm. the highlights are basically at one point – they get into a fight inside this part of the factory where Tony is developing shield technology, so he really doesn't want that destroyed, but Submariner doesn't cooperate and destroys a lot of it. Then Submariner picks up a big gun and starts shooting him, which he turns out is a bad gun to pick because it was going to obliterate the entire city. So Iron Man leaps forward instead of backwards or evasively and just gut punches him real hard, but that lets like Submariner try and rip his face off or his armor off. So Iron Man has to judo chop him and that just spends all his energy. But then luckily there's a highly concentrated recharging handle thing that he can hold onto. And that gives him just, and Submariner's like, why are you holding that? And he's like, here's why. And then he punches him really hard again. And he just keeps like pounding and pounding and pulverizing him, Jack Kirby style. And then meanwhile, the cops are like, hey, Barry, you think we should like, 
shoot him or something? Yeah, try that elephant gas gun we have. Okay. So as they're about to do that, Samariner's like, what? You humans would dare point guns at me during a fight? And he picks up a big giant piece of tech and tosses it at them. And he's about to beat them up. And Iron Man's like, not on my watch, buddy. You don't fight cops. And they start getting into it again. And Namor's actually looking like he's losing. And he's actually thinking to himself, I need water again. And Iron Man's just hauling fists after fists on him. But then Namor glances over to the ocean. And he sees the tail tip of the ship that Lord Krang and Dharma are in. And he goes crazy mad. Like his eyeballs are all crazy and stuff. Superimposed on that image. And he's like, I got to get him. And he jumps into the water and leaves Iron Man like going, that was a close one. The cops are like, oh, by the way, Iron Man, I think we're supposed to arrest you. And he's like, nope. And he flies away. And then we cut to him being Tony Stark somewhere, presumably his house or a luxurious executive office that he didn't have access to last issue. And he's like, you know, I've been thinking about the Senator Bird business and how – you know, maybe it would be better if Iron Man was public and could save more lives and do offshore globe stuff. So I'm going to call him next issue, Submariner Strikes, I guess again. Yeah. I mean, like with a lot of crossovers, sometimes the person's story is resolved in a book that's not their own. And it always feels a little bit weird when that happens, but it's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what's happening here. Iron Man's story is moving forward in the Namor strip. Oh, gosh. I didn't even think about that. You're right. He's going to call Senator Byrd and turn himself in because there's a warrant out for his arrest for skipping out on the Boy, you know, as I read this, the entire thing seemed from Iron Man's point of view more than Submariner's. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It did. And that could just be because Subby's crazy right now. But uh, that is awfully strange now that you point that out. I didn't really think about that before. It's a total Iron Man story. Mm -hmm. Now, we do get more uh, thought balloons from Namor than we did in the, the previous chapter. Yeah, but, but it's all just like fighting thought balloons. It's not like raison d'etre thought balloons, you know? Actually, I'm totally lying. He talks. We don't get his thought balloons. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why. You're right. This is totally an Iron Man story. This is an Iron Man story fighting Namor. All the drama is from Iron Man's point of view. Like, he has to beat Submariner. <laughs> maybe that's the source of the joke in the credits. He's like, who's Submariner? Yeah, could be. Or I also just thought it was funny that Jack Kirby hasn't drawn him so long that maybe he forgot about him. It's been a while. Um, I love on page nine when he throws the USB ports at Iron Man, (laughs) at the the police. Uh Uh-huh. That's pretty great. So the Jack Kirby art, like I don't want to slam on Kirby. It's just that Gene Colan and this Iron Man business has been so great. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think this Jack Kirby is really rushed, and I have a feeling that's probably because they're like, Jack, can you fix this? We didn't. Gene is sick, you know? Right, right. Um, But it's also very hyper, which I kind of liked. Like, it was violent, it seemed like, you know? Um, And oddly, I never noticed this before, but a rushed Jack Kirby drawing looks an awful lot like Eric Larson. Oh, you are not wrong. Like, I actually thought, like, especially page three, that's so Eric Larson-y to me. I don't know. I've thought sometimes as I'm reading Eric Larson that, like, there are elements that feel Kirby-esque. Mm-hmm. If, if we asked him, I'm sure he'd say he took inspiration from Kirby when he yeah. was younger. Yeah, of course. Lots of just smashing, I guess. Big fists, power lines. Uh, well, speaking of big fists and smashing, I can't really recall, but does Iron Man usually full-on punch his bad guys? Well, he could. He's supposedly super strong. Well, he usually shouldn't, though, because punching flesh with iron would be something you'd want to avoid. 
like here with Namor, he can go on out because Namor's got the like, yeah. higher invincibility rating. It reminds me of the movie. Like, remember his first his first encounter with guys as Iron Man? I think the first thing he does is punch someone, and the dude goes flying and flipping and dies. Mm-hmm. Probably dies. He had to have died. <laughs> but that's why Iron probably. Man probably doesn't punch people very often. <laughs> but yeah, he can go to town on Submariner. That's pretty cool. He, in fact, he doesn't really use his repulsor rays at all, which is interesting. In fact, mm-hmm. he doesn't really do a lot of other than the charging business. Which again, I feel like they're breaking the rules here. What is this charging business? Holding the thing and you can just charge yourself? But he didn't have to plug in or nothing. But this almost seems like I love both these fights because they seem kind of manic. Like, oh, he uses his repulsors on page three. But outside of that, it's like just lots of punching, lots of kinetic energy, lots of both guys just being pissed. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that Kirby's good for. I, I do have to wonder what this would have looked like from Gene. Yeah. Um, and honestly, again, we have a lot of Kirby on this show. Mm-hmm. I like Kirby, mm-hmm. but sometimes I like what he brought to the medium more than I actually like him. Mm-hmm. Well, this isn't his best work for sure, but I again think I'm going to give him the excuse that he probably had a last minute request to finish it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I could see like Iron Man versus Samaritan in the future. I can see him being more intelligent about it. He doesn't do anything. There's no like Hulkbuster moments here or anything, you know? It's no. just physical versus physical. He doesn't, like, shoot him. He doesn't, like, heat up his armor. He doesn't try and freeze blast him. Or I don't know what he does. He's Iron Man. He should have a bunch of doohickeys. And it's just fighting. Well, so I thought about the fact that this is a crossover. And I was trying to think about the, the why behind that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure that this crossover did anything for either character. Not saying it shouldn't have happened. But, like... Yeah. Like, you could skip it and just go right to the... Him yeah, having Senator Submariner Bird. in his story did not do anything for Iron Man's plot. Mm-hmm. And having Iron Man in Submariner's story did not have, do anything for Submariner's plot. It's kind of like they pushed their stories on hold to have their interaction and then went forward again. Iron Man's particular. I think Submariner has been meandering for quite some time. Well, yeah. Well, Submariner could have swum up to get Krang and Dorma and ended up right where he is at the end of the story, going after Krang and Dorma's ship. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Man could have come in, oh my gosh, my plant's closed. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I guess I'm going to finally call Senator Bird and turn myself in. Yeah. So this, this, this not that it shouldn't have happened because it was a fun crossover and it was, oh, yeah. it's, it's history making. Yeah. But I don't know that it actually, nowadays when I see a character with a really heavy role in a crossover, I would want to see that crossover event mean something to the character, you know? Yeah. Have some sort of impact. On them interacting with each other. But he does come back. Oh, no, he doesn't. I forgot. This was a Submariner. You know, that's why I thought that that caption was weird. Next issue, Submariner, because I thought we were reading Iron Man still. It's it's an Iron Man story. It has an Iron Man end. Right. It's like, why is Submariner coming back to attack Iron Man and Iron Man again? He was just here. Oh, wait, no. Submariner strikes because it's his book. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, speaking of his book, we have actually two people sharing this book. Oh, you think it belongs to them? Belongs to them, Submariner and the Incredible Hulk, the battle cry of the boomerang, lying atop an ultra-powerful matter transmitter far below the surface of Earth. In the dark domain of Tyrannus, the Incredible Hulk is mysteriously transported by invisible waves of subtronic energy thousands of feet up to the surface where new danger awaits the green-skinned Titan. Speaking of stories that don't matter, that whole Tyrannus <laughs> thing, like where'd that go? Or the time, yeah. Or the time travel before that. Or basically yeah. everything. Anyway, another cheesy chapter in the most imaginative. I'll t- I promise 
this episode, I will have positive things to say about the Hulk. For those of you who love the Hulk and are tired of me dogging on the Hulk, it's it's coming around, guys. Another it is. another cheery chapter in the most imaginative, most spectacular super serial of all time. Passionately presented by Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby designer, Bill Everett illustrator, Artie Semek letterer, and a touch of the muse inspirer. So after his, you know, story that meant nothing in Tyrannus, he gets transported to the surface and is immediately attacked by missiles. And he's like, oh, they always shoot Hulk. They always fight Hulk. Everyone hates Hulk. And he, like, picks up boulders and protects himself, and he goes to hide. And then it turns out, no, they don't actually hate the Hulk. He just materialized at a missile training ground, so they, he just doesn't get that. So they were already shooting missiles. He just got in the way. But the soldiers are now like, I swear we saw a big, giant green guy. I bet that was the Hulk. And then the Hulk's like, I must go. Safe place is sky. So he jumps really high. And then all those guys who were like, I swear we saw the Hulk. Oh, we do see the Hulk. And they start shooting. Uh, Ross drives up and he's like, hey, get the Hulk, kill the Hulk, find Talbot, find my wife, find my wife, find my daughter, Betty, find everybody. And suddenly Talbot and Rick show up and he's like, where's Betty? And he's like, well, this guy attacked us. Uh, he could fly by using jet powered boots and he tossed small metal discs like bullets and he could slice a gun in two with a magic disc. Really? What was his name? Boomerang. Uh, Okay. <laughs> that is exactly my note. Uh, <laughs> he throws discs. He's called Boomerang. I don't get it. Right. Okay. So um, then he's like, okay, well, don't forget the Hulk. Now we got to find Betty because he kidnapped Betty. And Talbot, you suck. I love Betty too. I don't care. All right. Then we cut to the, uh, the what are they, Secret Empire. And they're like watching the video of Boomerang fly around with Betty. Someone presses a button and dies, a la James Bond. And the other two standing there like, oh, dang, what just happened? And he's like, you know what I think it was? One of them says, I think it was number nine. I think number nine has been trying to take over the secret empire. And the other guy's like, wait, so you're saying number nine is just going to slowly kill eight through one until he's one? And the other guy's like, yeah, but, you know, I have no proof. So we've just got to, like, not deal with it right now. But, hey, watch whatever buttons you're pushing, okay? Uh, anyway, we cut to... Boomerang flying around with Betty, and the Hulk happens to come across him because he's been jumping around himself. And he goes, I know that voice. I Hulk will help girl. And so he starts chasing after uh, the boomerang. Boomerang is a little better in the sky than just jumping, though. But he gets tired. So he puts Betty down, and Betty's like, dude, you should just leave. He's going to kill you. And he's like, nah, nah, I got this. And he throws all these, like, you know, non-boomerang things on the Hulk, and then he electrifies the Hulk. Oh, he does electrify him with the boomerang, so there's that. But in both cases, the Hulk's just like, nothing, stop Hulk, and Hulk just totally blows it all off. And then so Boomerang picks up Betty again, and he's going to leave, and she's like, no, seriously, just leave me, and you'll live. Uh, Ross gets a report from a flying plane that they found the Hulk and the boomerang and the Betty. He tells Talbot to stay behind and watch the base. Rick is like, well, I don't have to listen to that. I'm not part of his army. So he jumps onto the... One of the trucks that's going to go with uh, Ross to encounter the Hulk. Boomerang is getting sick of the Hulk chasing him and worried that he's going to kill him. So he throws Betty at the Hulk. That appeases the Hulk. He catches Betty and he lands on the ground. Boomerang jumps into a uh, Secret Empire helicopter says, Sorry, I couldn't get her because, you know, I had to throw her away or else he was going to kill us all. The Hulk shakes his fists at the helicopter and says... 
Hulk beat Boomerang. Hulk beat everything. Nothing can stop the Hulk. And Betty's like, you know, Rick said this guy is uh, uh, Bruce, but do I really see him in there? And the last panel is the two of them kind of staring at each other, trying to figure each other out. Next issue, Hulk in you. Oh, my God. Can you even say that? Hulk in you? Next ish. Hulk in you. Hulk in you next ish. That's all we get. So basically he kills her, I guess. No, it's it's the cave scene for the movie. I assume he kills her because, you know, notoriously he hates Betty. Of course. Of course. Yeah. This was. Good. This was pretty good. Yeah. I was happy. <laughs> Finally. Like an uh, actual, I don't know. I don't want to say Bronze Age Adventure of the Hulk because we're still definitely in the Silver Age, but definitely nothing like, not a whole lot like the stuff we've had for a while. I think it's just because it's so classic Hulk. I mean, this is it. Hulk being monosyllabic, trying to save Betty. There's a villain that he beats up, and Ross doesn't like him. That's what mm-hmm. we want. I mean, we're, we're totally missing Bruce, so there's still that stickler for me. But maybe he'll show up, start showing up now. I don't. Or honestly, maybe that's just we expect that more than it actually is. Yeah. I suspect that Bruce actually isn't a part of the Hulk until like Peter David starts doing stuff with it. It's possible. Gosh, that's a long ways away, though. Yeah. Um, they call this another cheery chapter, and I'm like, really? Yeah. Is that what we're calling the Hulk? Yeah, there's nothing cheery about him. Maybe that's sarcasm. But I agree with you that, okay, jumping forward in time, for the Hulk's narrative, did nothing. But for the purpose of the storytelling, it just gave an excuse to get the secret out there. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it was like, oh my gosh, why is this even happening? And then he gets back, and stuff happens, and he goes underground with Tyrannus. That was pointless. weird and pointless. Yep, yeah, skip it. Um, but here, yeah, Rick Jones is, what is he doing? Oh, yeah, he's, he's just with Talbot he's vouching with Talbot. for Talbot's story. They got, he, Talbot, and Betty were all transported back by Tyrannus together, and then that's when uh, Betty was yanked by Boomerang. So is this the first time that we've seen that Talbot has, like, disappointed the general? Seems like it. Up until then, he's been the perfect soldier. And Betty's at stake, so Ross yeah. is not taking this well. No, he doesn't seem to like him at all. He's fallen out of favor. I think the Secret Empire should put numbers on their hoods. I think that'd be great, because as I was doing the recap, I was like, I don't know if this is five or three talking, but I guess it doesn't matter right. either. I guess that's kind of the point. It doesn't matter. I think it's a little silly that they're just like, we know it's number nine, but we have no proof. And it's like, since when are you so good that you only act on proof? Why don't you just kill him anyway? Your yeah, I mean, proof is proof is great for official situations. For good, uh, if good people and good, good, you know. Right, justice systems yes. and, and due process and all that. But if you're just a villainous organization, you know that nine killed five, then <laughs> go kill nine. And is number or, one the leader or is there some leader above number one? Not that we know the answer, but. I don't know if there's a zero. And does nine automatically become eight now? Do they all move up in rank? Like in the Mirror Mirror episode? Well, they're still calling him nine. Hmm. That's confusing. If I was number three every day and then like two dies, it's like, oh, I'm two now? Okay. Yeah. You get uh, to work. It's like, here's a new number. Also, if they have no numbers in the forehead and they all look identical, how do you even know who's who? That is weird. Yeah. That's, that's, yes, exactly. <laughs> Five? Is that you? No, I'm three. Oh. Pay attention to what color Reeboks they're wearing. I guess. Or how tall they are or something. Hulk is very hulky Hulk now. We said that last story, but he's definitely just straight up savage. Hulk can beat anything Hulk. And they're not even talking about the whole brain of Bruce Banner thing anymore. Nope. Which is good. I I, I like. Go ahead. 
I, I like when Boomerang is fighting the Hulk, mm-hmm. and after a few panels, he doesn't have as many discs on his shirt. Mm-hmm. He just has little stitch pokes where the the discs were. Mm-hmm. That's a nice art touch. I like that Betty keeps trying to save his life. That's kind of a character trait on her, which is interesting. Saving Boomerang's life? Yeah, she's like, no one can stand up to the Hulk. You should leave. Yeah, yeah. And then she later she says her. the same thing, like, no, don't do it. He'll never stop chasing you. Leave me. It's your only hope. She's being nice to the bad guy who's kidnapping her. She's like, I know about this. This is the 23rd consecutive issue. Mm-hmm. Plus there were those six before. This is not a good situation. Mm-hmm. This is bad for uh, you. The Hulk will win. <laughs> at one point, Boomerang says Bullseye. And I'm like, no, that's another guy. But yep. weirdly, Boomerang and Bullseye live in a very similar space in my brain. Uh-huh. I could see that. Overlaps a lot. But Bullseye just doesn't stick to one. No, he thing. has all the weapons. He can he can kill you with paper clips and stuff. So. And Ultimate Hawkeye is basically Bullseye as a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, Boomerang's job was to get the Orion missile. That's what he was hired to do. Oh, that's right. And they kind of dumped all that, didn't they? Well, he definitely didn't do it. His his plan was to capture Betty and exchange her for the missile as a hostage. Right. But that plan didn't work either. So I don't know what's going to happen when he gets oh, back to the Secret that's Empire. Why, that's why Talbot was told to stay behind, because he has to monitor and guard that stupid missile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess that'll pay off later. It's a cool so, ending. I like that panel. Like It's a tiny panel, but I like this tension of like i mean it's pretty cliche at this point i guess but this is back when it wasn't like betty not sure if hulk's gonna just smash her or like her hulk not sure what to make of betty maybe not know why he wanted to save her well even though she's been in the comics she has not had a lot of direct contact with the hulk Uh -uh. only like once or twice and one of those was that almost rapey scene (laughs) whenever he goes into her room that was a totally totally different hulk practically yeah kind of but yeah but like that's that's her experience with this guy. Mm-hmm. And that's Bruce Banner. That's my beloved in there somewhere. I yeah. Don't that guy was more um, creep, but this one seems more like child monster. So yeah, we'll see how they interact. Um, yeah. I do like those three panels in the bottom Hulk shaking his fist up at the, mm-hmm. uh, and then he just turns to Betty and yeah, that little bitty panel of him looming over her. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's yeah, scared. Anything could happen. Anything. Do you expect that this is whenever they're going to finally start to bond. I sure hope so. I hope they continue with this this line of thinking that they're doing right now. Like I feel like they finally have figured out the Hulk or how he's going to be for a while. So let's do that. I realize that I don't really know the shape of their story as a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of assume that she finds a way to love Bruce as the Hulk. I don't know that that happens. The only thing I know about them is she eventually gets married and not to Bruce. And I know nothing else. So here's a question for people out there listening that actually like super love the Hulk or consider themselves Hulk fans. Like, oh, I don't know, Jay David Weider or something like that. Or Michael Bailey. Uh, you know how, except unless you're Alex Ross, if you're a Spider-Man fan, you're a Peter Parker fan. Mm-hmm. Presumably, if you like Captain America, you like Steve Rogers, that sort of thing. Iron Man, Tony Stark. Are there Hulk fans out here who could give a flying whatever about Bruce Banner, or do we care about him? You know, right? I'm is curious Bruce Banner about an important that. part of the Hulk story? Does he matter? It's interesting because there's a lot of times when Hulk is just always the Hulk, mm-hmm. or at least writers go that way because maybe they don't know what to do with him. I don't know. And like the the lesser parts of Spider-Man's history are the ones that use Peter Parker to lesser effect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Superman stories that don't involve Clark Kent don't really feel complete. Yeah, when he quits. But right. Yeah. But I'm not sure that, like Planet Hulk. Mm-hmm. Exactly I what I was thinking. Yeah, I squealed when I saw him finally reveal himself to the queen at the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's Bruce. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. But the that was like the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, I feel like not all if you're a Hulk fan, would you be perfectly happy if like he permanently turned into the Hulk forever and just went around being the Hulk like Red Hulk does or whatever? I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess Red Hulk doesn't do that. Maybe he does. So letter writers, yeah, let us know right what you in. feel. Let us know. We're always bagging on Bruce Banner. What's Bruce Banner all about? We don't know. We're 82 uh, issues uh, in and we don't know. That would be a good segue into the where can they find us and write us, but we have one other thing we're supposed to say first, and that is our homework for next issue. Mm-hmm. Next episode. Episode 125. This is what you need to read. Ready? Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 147, which is the beginning of non-Ditko Doctor Strange. The Avengers 30, which is the beginning of, I don't know, the Fantastic 453, <laughs> and Amazing Spider-Man 39, which is the beginning of non-Ditko Spider-Man. So read it's, that for next time. It's funny. Avengers 30 is a super classic cover, but I honestly have no idea what happens on the inside. I don't even remember the cover. I'm actually jumping forward it's to just, see It's what Goliath it is. holding somebody, and there's floating heads, including Swordsman and Power Man and Black Widow. And it's frenzy in a far off land. So do they go to the Savage Land or something? I don't really remember. Um, I think it's not the Savage Land. I remember this story. <laughs> okay, we'll just talk about that later. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen that cover a bazillion times. So it's it's a fantastic Goliath cover. Yeah. All right. So if you want to write to us about your thoughts on Bruce Banner, especially if you're a longtime Uber Hulk fan. You can do that at podcast at makearsmarvel.com, or you could just go to makearsmarvel.com and use the handy contact form there. While you're there, you'll also find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter, as well as RSS feeds for the more popular uh, podcast apps. Or if none of that works and you're trying to figure out how to subscribe to something you're already listening to, just type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite app and hope to gosh it comes up. And if it doesn't, go back to that first part about writing to us and let us know that too so we can fix it. You can find Mike on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. You can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I tweet about comics, including the fact. Have I talked about this on here? I have now read the entire first half of Superman's history. You did, but you should. I did talk about that. On you here? should talk about it again because it's pretty impressive. So yeah, um, I calculated the day when I would be half as old as Superman, and by that day, I completed the entire first half of Superman's publishing history, which was everything before my birthday. So now I am diving into the second half. I'm almost done with 1979, about to get to 1980. I'll be hitting the crisis next year. And then I'll be reading post-crisis Superman with everything pre-crisis under my belt. And he still hasn't crossed over into something else, huh? Well, not in a crossover story, no. Wow. He's been in other books, but not in a... Wow. DC doesn't do that, though. DC doing a story that continues from issue to issue is also just kind of... By the 70s, it's more normal. Mm -hmm. But before the 70s just wasn't a thing that happened. That's just so crazy. It seems like such a no-brainer. Yeah. 
Anyway. Supergirl did it a lot in the backup stories, but not the main Superman stories. Anyways, um, so that's pretty cool. I uh, also doing two other podcasts, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast, and Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, where I'm talking about Image Comics and Transformers comics and cartoons. Those are both on my pinned tweet on Twitter. Go check those out. And be here next week. That's the end of our episode, right? That's the end. Anything else to say? No, I'm um, done talking. Yeah, go join the Mary Marvel Marching Society and mm-hmm. learn that song about marching along and along. And um, don't, all right, don't so be a protesting hippie. Oh yeah, or a long-haired yeah nut job. Yeah. All right. So until next time, or until Iron Man and Submariner get their own comic book together, make ours Marvel. Marvel.